Well, today uh, we are wrapping up a series that we have been in the book of Daniel. So I'm going to give you a head start right now and invite you to go ahead and be turning uh, to the book of Daniel as I take a moment to say welcome to those of you who are joining us online. It's always good to uh, have you be a part of worship in that way. It's cool that not only uh, when people who are a part of the Freedom Family here locally are awake and tune in, but we've got lots of extended Freedom Family, people in various states and different countries who tune in each week. And it's good to have you be a part of worship with us. The song that we just concluded worship uh, with is a, a wonderful reminder of a powerful reality, isn't, isn't it? As we've just sung about the power of the Lord's name. Proverbs says, the name of the Lord is a, a strong tower and the righteous run to it and they are saved. That's such a, a, an ongoing reality for us as followers of Christ that we don't just experience salvation in the eternal sense by calling on the name of the Lord, but to realize that because we bear the name of Jesus and because we can invoke his presence and his power and authority by using his name when we walk into different situations, it just brings such a great sense of comfort, but it's more than just something in our minds. It brings with it all kinds of a powerful reality that when we walk into dangerous circumstances or when we face attacks from the enemy, that by invoking the name of Jesus... It is suddenly as if Jesus is physically present in the room with us. And when we speak, it is with the authority as if Jesus were standing in the flesh by our side. That's good news, isn't it? To to realize that when Solomon said, the name of the Lord is like a strong tower that we can run to. When we say, in Jesus' name to the enemy, you be gone, you be silent, you leave my family alone, and he has to respond because it's as if Jesus just spoke in that moment. Isn't that good to know? That's not what we're talking about today, but it's just good to know. Good to put that into practice, so no extra charge for that. Um, we're wrapping up a series, as I said, in the book of Daniel that's called Unshakable. And I'm just going to go ahead and do a shameless promo for where we're going next. Beginning next Sunday and for really about the next couple of months, we're going to be in a new series that uh, is about the unseen war that we all struggle with. And it is tied to what I was just talking about, that all of us... We face temptation and struggles that just come up again and again. And and for many of us, there are areas that we feel like we've just been defeated in over and over. And this series is for you. It's about how to win in the face of your biggest struggles, your biggest battles, and how to win the unseen war against the unseen enemy who hates you and who has always been after you to try and keep you far from God and his plan for your life, how you can truly walk and live in victory. And so I want you to be here next week and through this next series and small groups, we're going to be diving into that. I don't want you to miss a part of that. So that's where we're going next. But today we're going to conclude the Unshakable series with a a very important message. Now, we have looked at a bunch of different tests that Daniel and his friends faced that we all have to face. Uh, Today we're going to conclude with a word about prayer. Daniel had been uh, in Babylon, and now it's Persia, for the majority of his life. As you know from the story, if you've been with us in this series, he was carried away as an exile when he was 15 years old. And so the point that we pick up the story today in Daniel 9, he has been there for nearly 70 years. Now, can you imagine the wear and tear that that has taken on him mentally and emotionally that he's been uprooted from his family and his homeland and the things that he's been praying for? I mean, it doesn't take a lot of imagination, does it, to picture what he's been praying for almost 70 years. I don't know all the details of it, but I can guarantee you that somewhere at the heart of this has been a prayer, Oh God, restore your people again. Oh God, restore Judah, restore Jerusalem, bring our hearts back to where we we need to be, and let me go home. Please, God, let me go home. For nearly 70 years, you know he's been praying this prayer. And so once again, even in what we're going to talk about today, we see Daniel facing another test of life. What do you do when you've asked God for something that is so near and dear to your heart and it's not like your heart has changed over time? The longer you've lived and the longer you've prayed, the the more deeply you feel this in your heart and it just hasn't happened. How do you deal with that? What do you do with that? Do you just get frustrated with God? Do you just decide you don't know how to pray and you just give up and quit? 
what do you do in the, the face of that? And, and let's just really bring it home. I mean, how many of us here in the room and watching and listening online, how many of us have faced a reality, probably not of having prayed for the same thing for 70 years, but for some extended period of time, something that's deep on your heart, it really is, is burdening you, and you've, you've begged God for it, but you haven't seen anything happen as a result of that. Let's just have a moment of honest confession. Raise your hand if that describes something that's ever happened to you. Pretty much everybody in the room. We've all prayed for things and watched and in some of those instances seen nothing happen. What are you to do with that? How do you respond to that? And can we actually learn to pray more effectively so that we see more things happen in response to our prayers? That's a good question. Can you and I learn to pray in a way that yields more results? The simple answer is yes, absolutely. God wants us to partner with Him in the accomplishing of His will. And learning how to pray better is a key part in doing that. That's what we're going to seek to do today. Now, I am just going to lay this out there because I don't want you to be discouraged if you've prayed for things and not seen them happen. I'll tell you that one of my hobbies that I've just kind of gotten into in recent years is just studying and following the stock market and just the whole investing thing. I just... I enjoy that. I enjoy understanding what's going on in the economy and trying to take advantage of that, benefit from that. And one of the things that I had to learn along the way that was a little bit hard to swallow is if you're an investor, if you're not widely enough invested so that at all times you have some things that are in the red, then you're probably not aggressive enough and you're not investing widely enough. People who are experts in the field will tell you that. If everything you're investing in is in the black, you're not being aggressive enough and you're not, invest, you're not investing broadly enough. Well, I will tell you there is a very direct correlation to your prayer life. If there's nothing in the red in your prayer life, then you're not pray, probably praying boldly enough and broadly enough. And you know what I mean when I'm saying that? If there aren't some things that you're praying for that you haven't seen happen yet, then you probably aren't praying big enough prayers of faith. You're probably not stretching far enough in prayer. If we're only praying safe little prayers that we want to make sure that, that God doesn't look bad or that we don't have our faith shaken. So we're just going to pray for safe little things. God, just get us through the day and bring us all safely home tonight. We don't want to ask too much of God. We don't want to wear him out. We're not praying big enough and boldly enough if we're not asking for things that we haven't seen happen yet are you with me all right well let's look at how to do that more effectively because to, to use the same analogy it's not a good idea if you're an investor to go well that's right you ought to have you ought to have boldness and you ought to invest you know widely and broadly so just just put money into anything and everything no 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 that would be a foolish investor i don't want you investing my money if that's how you're going to invest, you need to, to know something about what you're doing and be smart in how you handle that and the timing of that. Likewise, in prayer, if you know what you're doing, if you pray in line with what's been taught and modeled in the scriptures, you're going to see a lot better return for the time that you spend in prayer. I don't want to be an ineffective prayer. I don't want to waste my time or God's praying prayers that don't get anywhere. And can we just all agree, there are plenty of times that we have prayed useless prayers. Some of us are going, I'm not sure if you're supposed to say that. That's a fact. Can you just agree, I've prayed plenty of useless prayers. That I am sure that in the ears of God, I sounded like Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 wah. You know what I'm talking about. Where God's got to be going, seriously, is that all you've got to bring me today? Where we're just going through the motions. And God wants us to learn how to pray effectively and in ways that connect us with him. So today, Daniel becomes a great model for us in this. And we're going to really dive into a, a significant passage of, of Scripture. So I hope you've got your Bibles open with me to Daniel chapter 9. Where it says, beginning in verse 1, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, a Mede by birth, who was made king over the Chaldean kingdom. Now, remember, this is now the Medes and the Persians who've taken over, and Darius is the uh, is the head of the Medes, the king there, and so he's 
Daniel's already survived three different pagan rulers over him. Now he's got a new boss. And so in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books according to the word of the Lord to the prophet Jeremiah that the number of years for the desolation of Jerusalem would be 70. So I turned my attention to the Lord God to seek him by prayer and petitions with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Okay, you may already be feeling lost in this. Why does this matter? It's very simple. Daniel has been asking God for one thing, probably above everything else, for much of, of the last almost 70 years. Oh God, please restore your people. Please take me home. God, put things back like they should be again. And it hasn't happened, but he's in the Word. He's reading the words of Jeremiah the prophet, who, by the way, is a contemporary of Daniel, interestingly. Daniel got carried away. Jeremiah got left behind with the poorest of the people in a conquered land. And he's hearing from God, and he's writing down what God's giving to him. And God gives him a very specific word that the period of desolation that they're living in will last 70 years. And then Jerusalem will be restored. And as Daniel is going before the Lord in his quiet time and he's reading the words of Jeremiah and he reads this that it's going to last for 70 years and Jeremiah's I mean uh, Daniel's doing the math 70 years holy smokes it's almost been 70 years and suddenly in hearing the word of the Lord reading the word of the Lord he's going it's about to happen I think God's about to do something and suddenly with a new level of faith he starts crying out to God oh God let it be let it happen in my lifetime do what you've promised that you'll do and so now he begins to press in effectively in prayer in verse 4 I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed oh Lord the great and awe-inspiring God who keeps his gracious covenant with those who love him and and keep his commands. We have sinned, done wrong, acted wickedly, rebelled, and turned away from your commands and ordinances. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name, or to the king's leaders, uh, uh, who spoke in your name, to our king's leaders, fathers, and all the people of the land. Lord, righteousness belongs to you. But this day, public shame belongs to us, the men of Judah, the residents of Jerusalem, and all Israel, those who are near and those who are far, in all the countries where you have banished them, because of the disloyalty that they have shown toward you. What's he doing so far? He's just getting down to business about what's happened. He's not blaming God. He's not being a crybaby. He's not being a complainer. He's just going, God, you are good. You are the great and awesome God. And we're in a bind. And we're in a bind of our own making. We have rebelled against you. We are where we are because of what we've done. I realize that you're just. He's just talking honestly with God about what's gone on. Verse 8, Lord, public shame belongs to us, our kings, our leaders, and our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Compassion and forgiveness belong to the Lord our God, though we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the Lord our God by following his instructions that he set before us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. The promised curse written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, has been poured out on us because we have sinned against him. He's carried out his words that he spoke against us and against our rulers by bringing on us a disaster that is so great that nothing like what has been done to Jerusalem has ever been done under all of heaven. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquities and paying attention to your truth. So the Lord kept the disaster in mind and brought it on us for the Lord our God is righteous in all he has done but we have not obeyed him now there is a declaration of faith in in the goodness of God and in the justice of God and everything that he said he's saying Lord going all the way back generations hundreds of years to the time of Moses when he was bringing your people into the promised land and and when Moses you know, stood on the two different mountains and he declared the blessings and the curses on, on the people. You remember he went back and rehearsed the commands of God and he said, if you follow the commands of God, these are the blessings that will follow. And he just names off all the good things that God would do for his people. But if you ignore the word of God and you disobey him, now here are all the terrible things that will follow. And now... Daniel has lived in a season when they've seen all of that fulfilled. And instead of being a crybaby or pointing a blaming finger at God and saying, Why have you been so mean to us? You know, I love you. Why are you punishing me? He's just going, I get it, God. 
There's a, a real communal effect here. We need to not miss this because as Americans, we do not think communally. Other cultures in the world today do. We do not. This is an Eastern mindset. We have a very Western mindset, which is all about I should get what's coming to me. I should be judged only on the, the basis of what I've done, and that will get you in trouble. Because we are a part of a larger church, and we are a part of a larger nation. And much of what we experience is not just because of what we've done. It has to do with how the church is living today and how America is living today. And Daniel understood that in his time. And so as he prays, he prays a lot of we. Lord, we have rebelled. We have disobeyed. Our fathers, our leaders, we as a people, oh God, have rebelled against you. And that is why we are in the condition that we are in today. And God, we repent of that. I speak for my people because I am a part of this group who are living this way. It's not because Daniel has has been mired in all kinds of nasty, filthy stuff. He's a part of a people who've rebelled against God. And he realizes he's in the place that he's in Because he belongs to a community of people who have chosen to walk away from God. And we had better tune into this reality. Because we are living in this. And we want to just be rewarded based on how we live. But if we don't see the church and America turn back to God, we'll suffer the ill effects of of that. And so we need to learn to pray as Daniel does. God... We understand that your judgment is just and that you are always good. And so when bad things come our way as a result of belonging to a people who have rebelled against you, we understand you're just being faithful to who you are and what you've decreed for for all of these generations for centuries. So we get that. We're not going to cry about it. But you hear the desperation in Daniel's voice. It's been almost 70 years, and, and we're still seeing a lot of the same behavior, a lot of the same heart attitudes, and I don't want us to stay stuck here. Verse 15, Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a strong hand and made your name renowned as it is this day, we have sinned, we have acted wickedly. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, may your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become an object of ridicule to all, who, to all those around us. Therefore, now we're getting down to business. Our God, hear the prayer and petitions of your servant. Make your face shine on your desolate sanctuary for the Lord's sake. Listen closely, my God, and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations and the city that bears your name. For we are not presenting our petitions before you based on our righteous acts, but based on your abundant compassion. I love that line. God, we're not asking you these things because we've been so good that we deserve it. We're just asking you in faith because we know that you are. Lord, hear. Lord, forgive. Lord, listen and act. My God, for your own sake, do not delay. Because your city, your people, bear your name. We've just sung about the name of the Lord. The Lord's name and the Lord's reputation are important. And you see, Daniel's actually, he, he's truly talking with God. He's reasoning with God. I think a lot of times we feel like we, we don't deserve that. We're not up to that. Like, how am I going to reason with the Almighty? And yet the great prayers in Scripture do this. Lord, for the sake of your great name, for the sake of your renown, because we're the people who bear your name, Lord, restore us to where we should be again. Restore us to where I know you want us to be again. If not for our sakes, Lord, for the sake of your name. Because we bear your great name. How's God going to respond to this? Well, verse 20. While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my petition before the Lord my God concerning the holy mountain of my God, while I was praying, Gabriel... The man I had seen, I don't, don't be thrown off by the fact that he says man, because this is Gabriel, the angel, the archangel. But he looks like a man here. The, the man that I had seen in my first vision reached me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me this explanation. 
Daniel, I've come now to give you understanding. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out. Boy, that's an important line. At the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out. And I have come to give it. For you are treasured by God. I've just been in Daniel for for the past few months. And I love how this phrase just just comes up again and again. If you read on through chapter 10, you'll find it two more times where the Lord speaks through his messenger just to say, you are dear to the Lord. You are treasured by God. Daniel, when you pray, things happen in the heavenlies. Don't you want to be the kind of man or woman that when you pray, stuff starts shaking, stuff starts breaking, stuff starts being set free, lives begin to be changed, things start happening. Because when you speak, the Lord says, oh, there's one of my favorites. There's one that's treasured in my eyes. And when they speak, I put things in motion. Gabriel shows up and he says, Daniel, I just don't want you to understand. I know you've been praying a long time. I know that in this season you're in right now, you have been begging God. I want you to understand. I know you're tired. I'm tired too. I'm not making that up. If you read on through the next chapter, Gabriel has to fight for three weeks at one point to ever get through to Daniel because of the spiritual warfare involved. The enemy understands what a key player Daniel is, and so he's bringing all he has to bear to keep God's messages from even getting through to him. And at one point, for three weeks... God's own messenger has to fight to get through. And he basically says, I don't know that I ever would have gotten through except God unleashed the great archangel Michael who came in and he turned the tide. And now I'm finally here to declare the word of the Lord. So Daniel and Gabriel are both tired when they're having this conversation. But he says, I just want to be clear. God's not playing games with you. You are treasured by the Lord. And the moment you started praying, God sent an answer. God's not in heaven with his feet propped up going, let's just see how long we can stretch this out for him. Let's see how serious the old boy is. No. The father said, Gabriel. He, he didn't call up some junior angel. He called up an archangel and said, go now. I want you to deliver the word. This is about to happen. I want you to explain to Daniel what is coming. Amos says that, that the Lord doesn't do anything without first declaring it to his prophets. Isn't that cool? He loves to let us in on what he's about to do. So Gabriel says, I've come. I've been on my way for a while. And he says, at the beginning of your petitions, an answer went out, and I have come to give it. For you're treasured by God, so consider the message and understand the vision. And he begins to explain this. And just as important, or maybe more important than the explanation, which we're not going to get into today, is that he came to let Daniel know that the very thing that you're asking for is going to be fulfilled. And we now know from history... That it was. Because in a short time, Cyrus takes the place of Darius as king. And guess what a pagan king named Cyrus the Great did in the first year of his rule? He does the unthinkable. He looks around at the Jewish people who are his servants and says, I think you all should be able to return to your homeland. And I think you should be able to rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And I think you should rebuild the great temple that was there. And I think I should fund that. What pagan king in history has ever done such a thing? Any king that God puts his finger on and says, I'll use the world's wealth to accomplish my purposes. Cyrus, you pay for it. And it's exactly what happened. But I'll tell you what, things like that don't happen if God's people don't pray in faith. And so a huge part of the accomplishing of God's will was Daniel getting on his knees Morning, noon, and night, and saying, Oh God, remember your covenant. Oh God, remember your people. Oh God, I know how we failed you, but for the sake of your name and your renown, for the sake of the people in the city that bear your name, make it happen, God. Do what you promised you would do. And from the moment he started praying, things went into motion, and the will of God is accomplished. History's changed as a result. How do you pray like that? How do you get those kinds of results when you pray? Don't you want that? If you do, say amen or lift your hand or something to go, I want some of that. Pass it around. I want it. I want to pray with that kind of effectiveness. How do we do that? What can we learn from Daniel? Well, there are five things, and I'm going to have to move quickly to, to take us through these, but we'll, we'll touch on five things that we learned from Daniel about how to pray effectively, how to pray in a crisis. And the crisis for Daniel is simple. 
time's running out on his life. He's in his 80s. He knows he's not going to live forever. And he wants to see in his lifetime, he wants to see things restored. And he also knows that the clock is ticking down on the 70 years. And he's looking around going, oh my goodness. I know we can screw up the will of God. I know we can miss out on what God wants to do. And I don't think we're where we're supposed to be. And so, what are we going to do? Well, five things we see in how Daniel prayed and saw things change as a result. Number one is this. We learn from Daniel the importance in prayer of letting God speak to me before I speak to him. Listening before we speak. Now, I'm not saying that in a legalistic way, like, I can't say anything to God until I hear from God. No, it's just understanding that our prayer is a response to God's initiative. I bet you don't usually think of it that way, do you? I think we typically think of our prayer as something that we initiate, and the truth of the matter is, our flesh never wants to reach out to God, except in a selfish way. When, when you feel drawn to prayer, it's because the Spirit of God is drawing you in. The Spirit of God is initiating. Everything good that we do in relation to God is initiated by God. He is the great initiator. First John says that we love God because he first loved us. You know, we, we may kind of kid around as couples about who loved the other one first. You don't ever have to have that argument with God. He already trumps whatever we would say. He says, before you even started screwing up, I was loving you. I was loving you when I sent Jesus to the cross. How do you get ahead of that curve? God's just the great initiator. And in whatever you're going to accomplish in life, whatever you're going to accomplish in prayer, it's only going to happen as we respond to God's initiative. That's why it's critical that we listen before we speak. And so the, the simplest practice that we have is in your quiet time, it's a really good practice to begin your quiet time by just saying, God, I want to meet with you today. I want to hear from you today. As I turn to your word and as I just open my heart, would you speak to me today? And let that be all the praying you do on the front end of your quiet time. And then spend some time in the Word and spend some time just, it doesn't have to be a lot of time, just a little bit of time, just being still to listen, reflect, think, and be attentive to what God would bring to mind. Let Him speak and pray out of that. I'll tell you one of the, the most meaningful expressions of this that I have seen lately, and to me it just models how we ought to do a lot of things in life. Most of you know that uh, Grace Anglican and the Union are our two sister churches that are just across the parking lot from us over here. And uh, we share a lot of things together. So we were taking part in their um, Monday-Thursday healing service this past, whatever it was, I think March. Uh, Jackie and I were there. And it being a healing service, there was a significant period of time in that service where they had... Uh, prayer people at the front that if you wanted prayer for healing you could come and and one or two people at a time would pray over you and so a lot of you know i've been dealing with and have been dealing with some health issues and i went forward for prayer and i love the way that the prayer leader and it was just a lay person that it wasn't like it was the pastor but the the lay person who prayed over me i loved how he handled that first of all he listened to me just find out who he's praying for i don't go to his church and so i Took just a moment to tell him why I'd come for prayer. He listened to that. And then his first response was, you know, thank you for sharing that. Now let's listen together for what God would say about that. And then we'll pray in line with that. And so we just stood in silence. Not for a long time. For, you know, a minute, minute and a half. And then he said, would it be okay if I share with you the picture that I feel like God gave me as we were listening for his voice? I said, sure, that's great. He shared a very specific, meaningful picture. And he said, you know, this is what I think that means. Could we just pray in line with that? Absolutely. And we just stood and, and prayed together. And I feel like there was power unleashed as we prayed. I feel like that God spoke a word, touched my body, and that, and that I'm walking in health as a result of that. The thing that's so powerful to me about that whole scene is for most of my life, having grown up in church, that was done sort of... The reverse of how we would normally do it. Somebody comes forward and needs prayer. And man, in the tradition that I come up in, you need prayer. We're ready. Let's go. Jesus, here's what we need you to do. Blah, 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 blah. And we just spit it out and send them back to their seat. And we hope somewhere along the way they got some little blessing sprinkled on them. And if we're really painfully honest, usually not much happens. 
Because that's us taking the initiative. That's us telling God what he needs to do instead of saying, God, would you give us a glimpse of what it is that you want to do here today? I want to tell you the moment that you hear God or you see what God wants to do and you simply now begin to pray in response to that, faith just explodes on the scene. And the prayer offered in faith makes things happen. Daniel was responding to God's initiative in Scripture. It says these things happened during the first year that Darius was king. During his first year as I was what? I was studying the Scriptures and noticed the Lord's message to Jeremiah that 70 years would pass before Jerusalem would be rebuilt. So that's where he started. He started by listening to what the Lord said through his word. You know, Jesus says in John fifteen seven. If you stay connected to me and my words remain in your heart, you may ask any request that you want in prayer, and it will be given to you. That's a huge promise. You stay connected to me, and you make sure that my words stay in you, and then you pray for what you need to. You'd be driven by those two things. So we need to always be asking those two questions. Have I met those two requirements? Am I staying, first of all, vitally connected to the Lord? It's not a complicated question. As much as I know, am I right with God? In other words, am I just living in fellowship with God and with his family? Am I carrying around any unconfessed sin, any baggage that I'm not willing to let go of? If I am, that's going to hinder my prayers. It's not complicated to just be right with God. It doesn't mean you're living perfectly, but it means whatever you're struggling with, you're continually giving it to God. You're confessing it when you screw up, and you're, you're depending on God's power and, and wisdom to lead you and to, to give you the ability to just walk with him. Am I doing that? And secondly, am I letting God's word remain in me? It doesn't mean, do I, have I memorized 66 books of the Bible? No. But am I just staying in the word? Because the more of the word you know, the more of the will of God you're going to know. The more of the word you know, the more effectively you're going to pray, period. If you're not in the word, don't expect to be effective in prayer. If you remain in me and my words remain in, me, in you, ask whatever you will and it will be done. But if you're not willing to do those two conditions, don't expect a great deal to happen when you pray. Daniel is in the Word. And just another little footnote to that. The message that Charlie preached last week, which, by the way, great job. Thank you. It's, it's awesome to see a, a young church planter and pastor developing right here in our midst. And, and the message that Charlie brought last week from Daniel 6, one of the things that you would have noticed in Daniel 6, is the thing that got Daniel in trouble was that he prays every day, three times a day. He goes before the Lord three times a day. And, and listen, for the biggest legalists in the room, be careful with what I'm about to say. We'll turn everything into law or rules. That's, that's not what I'm suggesting. But the pattern that Daniel gives us is a really healthy pattern. Daniel doesn't just have a quiet time. He has little touch points at three different markers in the day, three different moments to pause and turn his heart back toward heaven. And that's a great model for us. It's not for those who are going, oh my goodness, now I've got to have three quiet times a day. No, no, no. I'm just suggesting that it's a great practice for us to learn at least three times a day, kind of morning, noon, and night, to have at least just... 60 seconds, maybe two minutes, that you just pause and recenter, whether it's to read a short passage of Scripture or just to rehearse a verse in your mind that God's put on your heart and to just take a moment to turn back toward God and just offer up an arrow prayer. Jesus, I just want to stay centered on you. I just want to pause again and thank you for your grace, for your love and your presence, and just to ask you what's next. I don't want to make up the next part of the day. Would you go with me and would you show me what you have next for today? Just to have touch points through the day so that our hearts stay centered on him. Daniel models this for us. Now, Daniel is living all this stuff out in Persia. But remember, the person whose words he's reading, Jeremiah, bless his heart, he's been left behind in poverty and in the homeland. And here's part of what Jeremiah has written that I'm sure is speaking to Daniel's heart. It's, it's, now, in what I'm about to read, you're going to hear one of the most familiar passages from the prophets. One of the most beloved and most quoted. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years. Don't you love how specific God is? By the way, did you realize that in Jeremiah's writings, before anybody knew who Cyrus was, 
he named the leader that God would use to set his people free. It drives me crazy to listen to modern day prophets who sound like Nostradamus. They give such vague prophetic words about what God's going to do. I love how when God shows up, he'll tell you how long. I mean, he can be so specific as to say, and his name is going to be Cyrus. Who's going to do this? He spells that. It's going to be 70 years. But then I will come and do for you all the good things that I have promised, and I will bring you home again. And here's where it turns really familiar. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And in those days when you pray, I will listen. I wish I had more time for this, but just I'm going to give you the short version. We love to pull the heart of that out. Because this is a great promise, isn't it? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And all of God's people said, yes and amen. We want the hope. We want the future. We want the good. Absolutely. We don't want the context. Because the context is we've been living for decades with oppression, with poverty. And in all of that time, the promise of the Lord is still true. In all of that darkness, the Lord is saying, I've got good plans for you, plans to prosper you. Now, if you're Jeremiah or one of Jeremiah's contemporaries, tell me you're not going. I ain't so crazy about your good plan, God. Is this your idea of prosperity? We struggle to not starve to death. We struggle to have a roof over our heads. There is no wall around the city. Any bunch of bandits that come through can come in and attack us. We're not crazy about your good plan. And in the face of that, the Lord says, oh, don't give up hope because I still have a a plan for your future. And it's a good future. And nobody who quotes that passage, not only do we avoid the context when we quote that, wouldn't you agree? I mean, when's the last time somebody ever gave you the context of that promise when they declared it? But we never quote the verse that follows it. In that time, you will pray and I will answer. In one little sentence, we have a picture of a gigantic truth. That for prayer to be answered, for God's will to be accomplished, two huge things have to be considered. Two really big things have to come together. Our prayers and God's timing. In that time when you pray. God's already said, it's not going to happen before 70 years. Y'all didn't get here in a hurry. You're not going to get out of this bind in a hurry. Some of us have dug some holes over a long span of making bad decisions. And it's not going to all get fixed today. The Lord said, it's going to take some time to teach my people a lesson. Remember how many times they've gone into idolatry and God has said, you're going to get hurt bad if you keep doing that. I love you too much to let you stay there. God's going to spend 70 years breaking them of idolatry. And when he's finally broken them, they'll never return to idolatry again. You read the Old Testament, you will get sick to death about hearing about the Baals and the Ashtoreths and the Asherah poles and all these idols in the Old Testament until the captivity. And after those 70 years, we don't have to read about that anymore because God said, I'm going to take you to the woodshed and I'm going to make sure we don't ever have to learn this lesson again. We're going to learn it all the way. Sometimes the love of God is painful and the justice of God is painful. But it wasn't because he's cruel. It wasn't because he's just ticked off. I'm going to teach my people to be my people. And so there was no way to get around those 70 years. The point being, there is a divine timing aspect to a lot of what we want to have happen. That we have to trust the timing of God, but we also are a part of the equation. In that time when you pray. Daniel's looking around going, oh my goodness. The time is almost up, but you know what? I don't think our hearts have changed the way that we need to. Somebody better start praying. I guess it might ought to be me. And so he starts praying in faith. And what happens as soon as he starts praying, according to to Gabriel? Heaven responds. God's watching. 
You know, God's saying, you're not going to be able to speed this thing up. It's not going to happen faster than 70 years, but it can take a whole lot longer than 70 years. You may not can speed up the will of God, but we sure can slow it down. Don't you know that's a fact? So are you telling me that there are good things that God wants to give and God wants to do, but they're not going to happen unless I ask for them? That's exactly what I'm telling you. Now, there are some things that are so important to the will of God, whether you pray or not, they are going to happen because they are markers in the, in the will and plan of God. But I want to tell you, there's a bunch of stuff that God would love to do. He's dying to do, but he's only going to do it if we ask him to. James says, you have not because you ask not. In that time when you pray, I will answer. We see the great cross-section between God's sovereignty and our responsibility. So that's the great quandary in life and in prayer, isn't it? How do I know when I'm the problem preventing the will of God? And how do I know when it's just a timing issue, that it's not God's timing yet? Well, go back and ask the question, am I seeking to walk with God? Am I, as best I know how, I'm right with God? And secondly, am I just simply praying and asking? Have I asked? And am I continuing to ask? If so, if I've met those two conditions, then just be patient. God's timing is going to come around. Second thing we learn from Daniel, and I'm going to have to move through these more quickly. We will we'll do that. Second thing we learn from Daniel is the importance to focus my attention on God. So much of life is designed to teach us this simple lesson, to turn our attention to God. Daniel 9, 3 says, Then I turned my face to the Lord, seeking Him by prayer. Men, husbands, future husbands in the room and watching online, let me just give you a simple relationship tip that will serve you well the rest of your life. When your wife or your girlfriend is talking to you, stop what you're doing and turn your face toward her and point both of your eyeballs at her eyeballs. She will love it. Women love to know that they have our undivided attention. Ladies, by the way, men love that too. We, we love to it. I mean, we do. We just love to know that when we're trying to converse and connect with someone, that we have their undivided attention. And the best way that you can show that you've given it is to let go of whatever you're doing and literally face the person. Guys, go home and try this out. Try it out over lunch today. I promise you it will pay dividends. Daniel understood this principle. He, three times a day, turned his face toward heaven and gave God his undivided attention. Prayer has got to do this. It's so much of what prayer is about. It's about getting us reconnected to God. And we can't do that while we're doing other stuff. It's why we've got to shut off the other noise and the distractions. Prayer that is interrupted 17 times by, oh, I need to respond to this Facebook and, and all of these texts. And anytime my phone dings, shut off your phone if you need to. Because that's pulling your face back in another direction. It's turning our attention away from God. Effective prayer is focused on God. The New American Standard Version of that same passage says, So I gave my attention to the Lord God to seek Him. We've just got to be... Learn to be good at seeking Him in life. Amos 5, 4, the Lord says, Seek me and you will live. Proverbs eight seventeen. He says, I love those who love me and those who seek me will find me. Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen says, You will find me when you seek me with all your heart. Hebrews eleven six says, God rewards those who earnestly seek Him. So let me ask you, do, do you want blessing on your marriage? Do you want blessings on your, your career and on your finances and on your health? Do you want blessings on your relationships? It revolves around this central thing. Seek the Lord. Seek Him earnestly. Don't just make it sort of a passive, part-time thing. You're like, well, yeah, it would be nice to hear from God today. I haven't heard from Him in a while. I think I'll give Him five minutes. And then we expect God to show up. I've got some big message for you. The Lord says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I want you to hunger for me. I want you to pursue me and listen for me. Not just occasionally when it's convenient, sort of throw out something and go, all right, God, you got my attention for five minutes. So tell me something big. Earnestly seek me and you'll be rewarded. So don't seek a husband, don't seek success, don't seek children, seek God and His kingdom. 
I'm convinced that our biggest problems in life come as a result of us not seeking Him. We just seek after the things that we think we want and then we ask Him to bless that. I want so bad to have a girlfriend. I want so bad to have a boyfriend. I want so bad to have a a spouse. I want so bad to have a baby. And we just chase after these things. I want so bad to own a house. And we don't stop to go, God, is it your timing? Buy this? Do I have any business dating this guy? Is it time for us to get married? We just jump into things and then go, God, now I know you love me, so please bless this. I want to tell you what God will do in those moments. He'll pull a Burger King on you. Have it your way. It ain't just hold the pickles, hold the lettuce. It's hold the blessing, hold the favor. Because you wanted it your way. And guess what? God loves you. He'll let you have it your way. And we can flounder around going, Oh God, help me. This woman's hard. This man's mean. My money's run out. My job's rough. And God's going, Wouldn't it have been interesting if you'd asked me whether or not you should have even gotten in that relationship? How would this have worked out differently if you'd asked me whether or not to take this job or spend all that money? Now, don't get scared here because God still loves us. And he's waiting for us to turn back to him as we're flailing around in the midst of our Burger King moment where we're getting it our way. Hear what the Lord says in Hosea 5.15 and following. The Lord says, I will return to my place on high and wait until they acknowledge their offenses. And feel their guilt and seek my face. And then in their troubles and distress, they will earnestly seek me, saying, Let us return to the Lord so that he may heal us. You hear what he's saying? God's saying, here's your Burger King moment. You had to have it your way. You got it your way. I'm going to go back to heaven and take care of the world. And when you get desperate enough that you really start seeking me and you acknowledge what you've done... And in your pain and desperation, go, oh, God, I need you in my life. I need you to be the center of my life. He said, I'll be right there. But until that moment, carry on. Have it your way. I'm going to go ahead and be God of the universe. And when you're desperate enough and you're hurting enough and you're willing to repent and turn to me, I'll be right there. I'll tell you what, that passage from Hosea, that's a word for many of us, but it's also a word for America. For the last 50 years. Because we have chosen as a nation to do it our way. After 200 years of being a nation that has sought the Lord and that has sought to to honor the Lord and live by his word. And and the values that his word teaches as a nation starting specifically, particularly in the early 60s. We've made a clear conscious turn away from that. And we are going to reap the whirlwind. Until the day that we turn and repent. And we must confess that. So let me ask you. He said, if you'll turn back, I'll be right there. And I'll heal you. So what needs healing in your life? Is it your body? Is it your emotions? Is it your marriage? Is it your heart? Is it your, your kids? Is it an addiction? What needs healing? And are you willing to seek God for that? The third thing we learn from Daniel is the, the importance of expressing my desires with emotion and devotion. It's just important to understand that the reason that we're emotional beings is because God's an emotional being and we're made in His image. And God isn't the least bit interested in us offering up form prayers the way that you'd send out form letters. Those avail nothing. You know what form prayers are. They're those prayers we've heard everybody else pray so many times, we now pray them to mimic them. Lord our God, please lead, guide, and direct. Bless the gift and the giver. Bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to thy service. Whatever in the world that was supposed to mean. If your mind and heart are not engaged when you pray, just disengage your lips too. God wants there to be heart in what we say. God would rather hear us say, Ten words that come from the heart than 10,000 words that are just rehearsed and sound like flowery spiritual church talk. How many times when you've heard somebody speak, particularly for me personally, when I hear a big strong man share something from the heart, out of the depths of his heart over a broken heart or how God's worked in his life, and the tears are just slowing and there's this deep emotion, I can't hold back my tears. Their emotion brings forth emotion in me. 
I want to respond to what they're saying. Do you know God is the one who made us that way? Where heart connects with heart through emotion. When we bring emotion and devotion into prayer, it touches the heart of God and it moves the heart of God. Go back and reread how Daniel prayed. I mean, how, well, how Daniel prayed, but how David prayed and how Moses prayed. The emotion and how God responded. Daniel 9, 3 says, And I prayed earnestly to the Lord God, pleading with him, fasting, wearing sackcloth and sitting in ashes. Okay, the last two are ancient Near Eastern practices. We don't do the sackcloth and ashes, but we are called on to fast, to plead, to be earnest in how we pray, bringing emotion and heart to this whole thing. God wants us to ask, but when we ask, he wants us to really pour out our hearts to him. Not just bring a laundry list of, oh God, I know I'm supposed to pray for all these people and all these things. You're probably not going to care any more than I do. When that's the attitude of our hearts, we need not read the list. God wants us to come with things that we care about. I'm reminded of the little kid who, the one thing he cared about and wanted more than anything else in life was to get a Star Wars watch for Christmas. The really cool kind that had Yoda and Luke Skywalker on the front of it. And he, he asked his dad every day for it. Dad, I just want a Star Wars watch. I just want a Star Wars watch. And he just asked him so many days in a row that the dad finally said, Look, if I hear Star Wars watch one more time, I'll promise you this one thing. You won't be getting it for Christmas. I don't want to hear Star Wars watch again. And so the kid shut up for the next several days. Until a few days later when during family devotion time the dad said to his kids, I just am curious to know, each one of you, what's your favorite verse of the Bible? And one of them spoke up and said, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. The next one said, John 11.35, Jesus wept. Easiest verse to, to memorize. And the kid who was so hungry for a Star Wars watch said, Dad, I want to tell you my favorite verse. It's Mark 13.37. Jesus said, I told you once and I say unto you again, watch. kid got what he asked for for Christmas, too. He was passionate. Continued to carry it before his dad. God wants us to care. Pour out our hearts to him. Jeremiah declared in, in Jeremiah 50, In those days, says the Lord, the people of Israel will return home together with the people of Judah. They will come weeping and seeking the Lord their God. They will ask the way to Jerusalem and will start back home again. It's one of the most emotional, moving passages of the, passages of the Old Testament. God saying, my people do not even know the way home again. They're, they're lost. He's describing what's happened in Daniel's lifetime. That they know they're not where they need to be. They know they are so far from home and they don't even know how to get home. But they will cry out. Truly cry out emotionally, oh God, help us. We're desperate. We don't know how to get home. And I will show them the way home. There are some listening today, that's exactly where you are. You know you're not in a good place. You know spiritually your heart is not at home. And for some, this has been a long struggle. And if you're honest, you don't even know how to get back home. And the good news is what Jeremiah declared. If you'll just get honest with God, He doesn't need big empty promises as to what you're going to do or what you're going to stop doing. He just needs for you from the depth of your soul to cry out, Oh God, I need you. I can't change this. I can't fix this. I need you, and I need you to show me the way home. He will always answer that. He is longing to meet you where you are and to bring you home. But it doesn't come because of religious ritual or religious babble. The fourth thing we learn from Daniel is just the importance of thanking God for his love and his promises, even when we haven't seen them come to reality. He says, I pray to the Lord my God, confess to the Lord you're great and you're the awesome God. You always fulfill your covenant. You keep your promises of unfailing love to those who love you and obey your commands. Even in the darkest time, focus on the goodness of God, the love of God, how he's faithful to his promises. And fifth and finally, humbly confess my sins and ask for forgiveness. It's important to remember God doesn't respond to whining and complaining, but he does respond to honest confession. I think the truth be told, there are a lot of times we're afraid to get honest with God because if we just 
first of all, we just don't like saying even to ourselves what we've done and where our hearts have gone. And we're afraid to say it out loud to God. Like, oh my goodness, if I said to God where my heart has really been and what I've actually done, I don't know what he might do to me. Can we just clear that up? God already knows what we've done. He already knows where our hearts have been. He's just been waiting for us to get honest about it and confess it. Because the moment that we genuinely confess it. Now understand, confess just doesn't just mean acknowledge that it happened. That, that word homo legeo, which is the Greek word in the New Testament for confess. Homo means same. Legeo means to speak. It means we speak the same thing that God says about it. So we don't get to go, God, I sort of made a mistake. I sort of had a lapse in judgment. I, I know I just did what everybody else was doing, God, so I hope you'll overlook that. No! That is not how God talks about it. God talks in terms of sin and righteousness. And when we have been on the side of sin, we have to call it what it is, God. I get it. I have rebelled against you. I did what I wanted to do. And it was an offense to you. I've been unfaithful to you, and I need your forgiveness. The moment that we do that, grace is poured out. Not just forgiveness, grace. Grace is the power of God to get you from a bad place to a better place. God says, I resist the proud. The proud are those who are going, I can fix this. I can handle this. I don't have a problem. And it says God's always resisting those people. But he gives grace to the humble. What does humility do? Humility says, God, I agree. I agree with what you've said. I've blown it. But I believe in your goodness. Listen to how Daniel prayed. We've sinned, we've been evil, we've done wrong, we've rejected what you've commanded us to do and have turned away from what you showed us was right. We've not listened to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name. Wow, that's already breathtaking. Been evil, done wrong, rejected, turned away, not listened. He goes further, we paid no attention to you when you told us how to live. The clear teachings that came through your servants, the prophets... We kept on sinning, never giving a second thought, oblivious to your clear warnings. And he goes on to say, all the people in the neighboring countries look down on Jerusalem and on your people because of our sins and the evil that our ancestors did. So listen to us, O God. Look and see the trouble that we're in. We're praying to you because you're merciful, not because we have done right. Honest confession connects us to the heart of God and to the grace of God being poured out. So... How does God respond when we pray that way? Well, I can tell you how he responded to Daniel. He immediately sent an answer. And within the next few years, he drastically turned the course of history for his people. And he'll respond when we pray. When we pray following this pattern in simple faith, answers are unleashed. When our prayers intersect with God's timing... So here's God's promise to us as his people today. It's a familiar passage. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. We always hear that in the context of nations. And certainly as a nation we need to do this. But this is a personal word for us. If my people... Called by my name. That's us. If they'll humble themselves, that's confession. If they'll pray, that's emotionally pleading with God. If they'll turn from their wicked ways, that's a broken heart that's willing to be changed. God says, I'll hear. I'll answer. I'll respond. When's the last time that you turned to God in that kind of desperation and that kind of honesty? I bet I know the answer. The last time you were in a lot of pain. The last time things got bad enough that you just didn't think you wanted to keep living that way. That's usually what it takes for us. Some of us may be really close to that point today. How about letting today be the turning point? Let today be the tipping point to just turn to God in simple faith. Would you join me as we turn to him together in prayer? God, we need you. We need you all the time. Unfortunately, we just have a lot of days where we think we can manage things. Please forgive us. Please forgive us for our pride and our sinful rebelliousness, for our selfishness. 
help us today to see ourselves as we are and to see your goodness and your greatness. Help us to turn back to you in faith. Help us to become a praying people who trust you and depend on you. If today, in your heart, you sense more than just hearing a sermon, if you sense that God was speaking to you, that maybe it's it's your heart that he was saying, I want to show you the way home. Why don't you just say to the Lord, I want that. I, I want to come home to you. And maybe you don't even know what all that means and you just have to confess, God, I'm not even sure how to get home. Would you just tell him that and ask him to meet you where you are, to forgive your sins, to give you a change of heart and the power to live a different life. God, we're asking you for grace today. We confess our need, and I pray that today would be a coming home kind of day for people in this room, people watching and listening online. God, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your goodness. We trust in you as we offer these prayers in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for taking time to tune in and listen to the message today through Freedom Online. Uh, we would love to, the opportunity to meet you personally anytime that you're in our area. But if today you heard something that really connected or that maybe you've got questions about, you'd like to talk with somebody or have someone pray with you, we'd love to hear back from you. You can reach us in a couple of different ways. You'll find on the website a contacts link. You can contact me or any member of our leadership directly. Or you can call us at the number that you see on the website or at the bottom of the screen now. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope that you have a great week.